And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. There's been one demand, and that's holding up that Lombardi trophy, period. That's all I care about, is holding that trophy up and holding that trophy up here. The prime thing is you have to win. You have to win. Otherwise, you can't be a success in professional football. You're listening to The State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of State of the Nation is Visa, a network working for everyone. I am Jimmy Durkin, joined, as always, by Vic Tafer, Tashawn Reed, and Ted Nguyen. The Las Vegas Raiders at 4-2 and two are getting ready to host the Philadelphia Eagles, a key game as they get ready for their bye week. And, I mean, it's a big swing game, right? If you go into the bye at 5-2 and two versus 4-3, and three, that's a huge difference just in terms of where you feel like you are at as a team. You look at the AFC wide open right now. The Ravens, obviously the team that the Raiders beat in the opener, are the only 5-1 and one team. And then it's the Raiders stacked up with a bunch of teams at four and two. So uh, this is a, a big game for the Raiders this weekend, I think, to build some momentum going into that bye. Yeah, I usually avoid the words uh, trap game, but that definitely is a trap game, I think. You say it a lot. I do Vic. say it a lot? All right, maybe I do. <laughs> I like to think I don't say trap game a lot, but maybe I do. It's a trap. The Vegas line, I thought, was weird. The Vegas line opened up at the uh, Raiders were minus two and a half. Now it's three. No, you're thinking Raiders coming off this big you know, statement win. They're, like you said, they're four and two. Eagles are two and four. Three point spread at home seems really low to me. But um, obviously, if their offense plays like it did last week in the first three games, uh, they should be fine. I think the, uh, the O line is still a question mark. But um, yeah, definitely, I think it's a, it's a big game. Like you said, going into the bye, there's a big difference uh, if they win this game versus versus losing it. Yeah, I think Jacob said yesterday that he he couldn't remember the the last time he. He felt this kind of way about the team going into a bye week. They have one of the toughest schedules in the league. Um, I think obviously this number can change depending on how the, these teams perform. But collectively, I think they had their time for like the seventh hardest schedule in the league right now, according to True Media. And so while there aren't any like given wins in the league necessarily, the Eagles are, you know, you know one of the weakest opponents they have left on the schedule. And especially being at home, these are the, the kind of games that you have to win if, you, if you're serious about being a, a postseason contender. You know, another interesting part, Vic, about you, you mentioned the spread is that the Eagles are a team that have yet to be a favorite this year. So the fact that they're going into their seventh game have yet to be a favorite and are only three-point dogs on the road in Vegas against a Raiders team coming off of a, a nice win, that that does kind of jump out at you. It's fishy. I'm telling you, it's a fishy, it's a fishy spread. And I, obviously Jalen Hurts is uh, showing he's definitely one of the more exciting players. Definitely, uh, I'm sure gamblers love him because you're never out of a game if you bet the Eagles. But uh Otherwise, your team definitely has some holes. They haven't run the ball all year long. Defense has some issues. I mean, like we said, it's a game definitely the Raiders should win this game. So uh, we'll see what happens. Well, I mean, if you look at the Eagles' schedule, it's pretty tough. That They, they beat Atlanta 32-6, to so they blew them out. They lost to San Francisco, and San Francisco was healthy in Week 2. 
And as we know, you know, the Niners work at our contenders, a very talented team. They lost to Dallas. They lost to Kansas City. They beat Carolina, who's pretty good. And they lost to the Buccaneers. So I think they're a better team than their record shows. Their defensive line is really good, especially in the interior. That's a huge mismatch for the Raiders inside with Hargraves and, and Fletcher Cox inside. And Jalen Hurts can make plays. I mean, he's not a perfect quarterback, but he can make some throws downfield. So this is a this is going to be a tougher matchup than uh, people think. I get why the spread is as, as small as as it is. Right, we're going to get more into the Eagles in a little bit when uh, Zach Berman, one of our Eagles writers here at the Athletic, joins us. But yeah, you know, I want to talk a little bit about uh, something that Josh Jacobs said on Wednesday. A, you know, he he talked about how healthy he feels, and Deshaun, you wrote about that, and he's doesn't remember ever going through two weeks of an NFL season where he actually came out of both games, you know, without a scratch, not, not, you know, feeling healthy and all that. And we'll get to that. But I wanted to discuss his comment just about the demeanor on the sideline on Sunday, where he said there was there was no anxiety. There wasn't a guy on the sidelines who was cursing at, at the players, cursing at the refs and, and going crazy the whole time. Didn't mention the name. Obviously, we know he's talking about John Gruden. It almost sounded like a sense of freedom, kind of not having that high-intensity head coach there. And I don't know that that's a good thing, a bad thing. In that particular game, they were winning, so you don't necessarily need that type of demeanor. Maybe in games where you know, you're getting off to a slow start, you're not scoring a touchdown on the first drive like they finally did, you might need more of that kind of kick in the butt. But it was interesting just to hear him talk about it and seem to be talking about it in a very positive way that they really enjoyed what the atmosphere was like on the sideline on Sunday with Rich Basaccia. Everything's more relaxed now, man. They're practicing later, they're <laughs> doing their media availability later, going to their meetings first. Like, ah, oh, the media can wait. Just let them sit there for another hour. Things more chill around the facility. Nah, but on, on a serious note, I mean, I don't, I don't think your coach has to be a yeller and screamer for you to, you know, be locked in or focused or, or taking the game seriously. And I don't think, you know, personality difference like that is necessarily the, the biggest factor when it comes to their team success. But uh, it, was, it was something both both him and Ruggs kind of commented on yesterday, a little less emotion on the sideline. But they also said that, you know, when it came to their teammates, whether it was the offense cheering on defense or the defense cheering on the offense, that, you know, it was a lot of they were very animated and, and into it and engaged. And so I think that's really more important than necessarily uh, whether the coach is, is pissed off after a, a bad call or something like that. They didn't call Gruden Chucky because he was a big teddy bear. You know? <laughs> He's definitely an intense guy. Everyone knew that. I think when they were 3-0, people were loving that energy. And it makes sense for Josh and the team to kind of look at what happened last week and, and put it in, obviously, the offense is back. They're playing well. But, yeah, push it forward. Like, hey, you know what? We have a more relaxed atmosphere. We did well. Maybe that was working for us. So I get it. I just think it's – um yeah, that's a natural reaction, I think. But obviously, it's something you said if they lost, I'm sure the energy would, would be different if they were losing that game. So, yeah, it's, it's an adjustment for life after after Gruden. I think they did a nice job week one. We'll see how it goes going forward. But um, I think what Masachi said is definitely is key is that you know, the continuity is a huge deal. They have the same staff and talent except for the one guy. Same play. If they've reduced the playbook, but it's the same concepts, the same ideas, or why defense hasn't changed. So, really, they're trying to continue what they did. You know, those first three games, and, and they did that on, on Sunday. So we'll see what happens going forward. But I understand the players saying how, uh, you know, this is great. Life is life is better now without Chucky. Yeah, I mean, it's just like imagine you have this, like, taskmaster boss that's always on your case, always yelling, super intense, and then he takes a day day off or something, or maybe he gets fired <laughs> or he resigns, and then he's gone. And then things are just more relaxed. So, you know, you feel good and, you know, it's a little bit of a better atmosphere. But, I mean, there's also some benefit to having, 
you know, a boss that's that's on you if it's producing results. But, you know, if it's not, then you just have a, a bad overall environment. So, um, you know, we'll see how the loss of Chucky affects his team overall. But I mean, you know, right after it, obviously, um, a, a win win is nice. I did want to talk more about Jacobs, though. Uh, you know, Tashawn, you, you'd write about this. The production, st- we're still waiting to see the bigger production. But it was improved on Sunday. Uh, they got more of Kenyon Drake involved. And let's see. I mean, Jacob says he feels healthy. He felt he never felt that fast on a Wednesday in a long time. The Raiders need to kind of turn that into production. But eh, small strides have we seen in the, in the running game? Like, you know, small incremental steps forward? Yeah, I guess when you're averaging 3.2 yards per carry for the season, 3.7 is improvement. <laughs> it got a little bit better. I mean, half they, a yard, they, man. I mean, that was their second highest rushal total of the season. So, like, it was better than what they've been. What they've been was abysmal. This is, like, still pretty bad. And so, still a lot of room to grow there. Um, but I, I think, you know, I'll default to the coaching staff and the players when it comes to them saying that they, they saw better technique in, in run blocking from the offensive line. I'm, I'm far from the offensive line guru, so I, I can't really dispute them there. And, I think the interesting thing about Drake was, uh, you know, after the game, you know, a lot of the players and coaches said that they, it wasn't really intentional to get him more involved. And really, uh, he only had six touches, which I, I think was his second or third lowest of the season. And he only played 11 snaps. Uh, it's just he made the most out of those opportunities and, and they happened to hit for big plays. And so he wasn't necessarily more involved. He was just more successful. Um, and I, I think that's, you know, obviously they, they want to keep Jacobs fresh. And so maybe, you know, that snap count for Drake starts to rise along with them having Jalen Richard back um, that, that takes some of the third down duties off of both of them. But I think, you know, when it, when it comes to being more effective, obviously there, there's things that the backs can do better. We, we've spoke on this podcast about Drake not being the best between the tackles runner. And uh, Jacobs said that he, he felt like he was trying to do a little too much, trying to create at times. But it really starts up front with the blockers. They've been better in pass protection for the last couple of weeks. The run, the run blocking is still, you know, not good, but... Uh, we'll see what, if that improves in time. They also signed uh, DJ Fluker to the practice squad yesterday. He's still recovering from a torn meniscus, but if he's able to get healthy uh, at some point in the near future, uh, sounds like Rich Versace thinks maybe after the bye, uh, he's a guy that has starting experience both at guard and tackle. You know, they might get Richie Incognito back after the bye. So there is some room for hope up front. Obviously, Incognito is probably their best run blocker. So if they get him back, that'd be huge. And, and maybe if or him or Fluker comes back, maybe they can move uh, Leatherwood back to right tackle. And so... You know, it's still not good right now, but there is, you know, some hope for the future. I think there's more variance. Like, there were a few snaps where the offensive line looked really good run blocking, which didn't happen before. And the Raiders running back, you know, they were able to take advantage of those few times that they had really good run blocking. But then, like you said, there's other times where they just look terrible. And um, Josh Jacobs is doing the much as much as he can. You know, he's breaking tackles at the backfield, but sometimes the run blocking just looks really bad. But I thought it was um, Andre James' best game against the Broncos. I think Leatherwood is starting. To, he had some good snaps against the Bears, and I thought he had more good snap, snaps against the Broncos. Parker actually looked pretty good against Von Miller, who uh, could be a tough block, obviously. There's some encouraging signs for this offensive line, and if Incognito gets back in the fold, yeah, I think uh, this line could actually make some big improvements as the um, season goes along. Feels like this is one of those weeks that they just kind of have to survive it, right? We know that, you know, Ted, you talked earlier about the Eagles' defensive front. I mean, that's that's the strength of their team. And like we said, the hope is that Rinchy Incognito comes back after the bye. I mean, at this point, Incognito's in that position where you, you can't bank your season on him returning. You know, he's 38 and he's missed a season and a half now at this point. But, I mean, you, you always hope that guys can get healthy. So it just it feels like this is one of those weeks. Survive as best you can against an Eagles team that 
offensively hasn't done a whole lot. Uh, they're strange in that they've been really efficient as a running team, but few teams in the NFL are, are running less than them. They're, they're passing the heavy majority of the time and, and not really taking advantage of their efficient running game. So you just kind of hope that you can rely on that defense again. And I mean, we've talked about it all year long that the defense, uh, Denzel Perryman, I think is tied for the NFL lead in tackles. You know, that pass rush has, has come alive. So this is probably a week again where you hope you can survive on the offensive line and, and let your defensive line try to control this game. Yeah, it also will be a big test for linebackers. I think obviously it hurts with the way, you know, what he possesses, the, the challenges, both throwing the ball and running the ball. You need those guys. You mentioned Paramount's played pretty well. Littleton's flashed at times, but those guys, I think, will definitely be stressed uh, this, this weekend. Yeah, I think the Eagles late in that Bucks game, when I was rewatching it, when they did make their late comeback, a lot of it was from just you know running the ball. And I would say that, the Bucks probably have one of, the, one of the better run defenses in the league. And the Raiders' run defense has been pretty terrible um, this season. They are getting Jonathan Hankins back, or it looks like they're going to get Jonathan Hankins back this week. And so that, that will give them a boost. But even with him, you know, they, they've been pretty bad against the run. And uh, particularly against running quarterbacks, they've struggled this year. They, they're among the worst teams in the league when it comes to yards given up to, to rushing quarterbacks. And I think Hurts has the second most uh, rushing yards for a quarterback behind Lamar Jackson. So, you know, as we've seen, his defense has been able to give up rushing yards and still hold teams to, to low scoring totals. Uh, so it may not be the end of the world, but I definitely think that's something that we may see the Eagles do a little bit more uh, than, than, than they have before, especially considering how bad their passing game has been. All right. And as promised, now we'd like to welcome in Zach Berman, one of our Eagles writers here at The Athletic. How you doing today, Zach? Hey, doing great. Thanks for having me on. We're talking here about the Eagles and just kind of give us a stock report of where this team's at two and four and Nick Sirianni's first season as head coach. They've kind of turned this team over to Jalen Hurts, you know, not fully committed to him as the guy as a future, but he's kind of the guy of now, you know, last week they trade away Zach Hurts. Just kind of where do you think this team is six games into Sirianni's tenure? Yeah, that's a good summation there, right? It's, it's, it's wait and see all around with the head coach, with the quarterback, with a lot of the the young players, the, the new faces in the building, they're in this this weird transition period as an organization where they they still have a lot of these veteran players who've been with the team for a long time, helped them win a Super Bowl. But at the same time, they're trying to transition clearly to what they're hoping is the next phase here. And in a certain respect, they're in between. They're not a very good team as it is, two and four. Their schedule's been difficult. They're actually better than I thought they'd be at this point. I thought they'd be one and five at this point. But it's, it's more how they got here that's been concerning for Eagles fans. Their offense is so inconsistent on a week-to-week basis. They're really struggling here. Their defense is not a particularly aggressive defense, which doesn't satisfy a fan base that enjoys aggressive defenses, right? So uh, they're still trying to figure out who they are as a team with a new coach. And they're trying to figure out what their quarterback situation is because they're very much in wait-and-see mode with, with Jalen Hurts. Like I want to ask, uh, you know, what do you think has been the reason for the, the lack of offensive balance? I mean, it seemed like, you know, one of the, the few things they've been, been able to do really, do really well on offense this year is run the ball. And, you know, they were able to run the ball pretty well against the Bucks late in their last game. So is it just the nature of, the, of kind of the flow of the games that they've been in or is Sirianni not valued to run? Like what's kind of up with the lack of balance there? It's a real good question. And it's like it's the number one thing on fans' mind here. There's kind of a big picture perspective and there's a football perspective. The big picture perspective is that this organization really values passing over over the run. Like even during Doug Peterson's time when they were winning games, if they won a game and they ran the ball more than maybe the front office thought they should, it, it was a topic of, of conversation. Like philosophically, they really believe in passing the ball. Now, that doesn't mean Nick Sirianni's calling passing plays to satisfy the higher-ups, if you will. 
But, uh, you know, I, I, I do think the organization's inclined to be a pass-first team. Now, as, as far as the pass-run splits and what you saw in, in the Bucks games, there's, there's a few ways. The, the game situations have factored into it, but not totally. I think a, a lot of it is they're an RPO-heavy team. In these RPOs, I think defenses want them to pass the ball. They would rather Jalen Hurts pass the ball than Miles Sanders in this running game running behind this offensive line. So uh, I think part of it's based on the looks that are, are presented. Now, you could call it designed handoffs. I do think the way they played in the second half of that Bucks game, a lot of that had to do with the fact that the Bucks were playing back more. There was, uh, there was more space. Early in games, they are seeing more crowded boxes. And I think that has, has a lot to do with what they're doing in the RPO game. That's pretty interesting that they're so analytically inclined that they don't want to run the ball, even though that's the strength of their team. So that means that if they listen to the analytics, they definitely do not want to run the ball into eight-man boxes. And the Raiders are an eight-man box team as a cover three team. So I wonder, just by alignment, does that mean they're going to stop running the ball? It's a real good question for this week because what you said, are they going to go based on what the defense does or are they going to yield to public pressure and, frankly, to the way the game's gone, right? They have a, a young quarterback. They put a lot on his shoulders. It would help Hurts if they did run the ball more. So are they going to stick to what they do philosophically? Are they going to bow to these these other conditions? I still think they're they're going to pass the ball quite a bit, but I would guess there's a slight uptick in the running game. Now, a slight uptick from, what, only two running back uh, handoffs in the first half the other night? Like, that's... That's not a lot, but I, I, I do think during this mini buy, they've spent time looking at their offense, and they do want to get Miles Sanders more involved. I do believe that. What do you think um, Hurts has to show for the organization to believe he's the guy going forward? I think part of it is he has to be better than what the alternative is. They're committed to Jalen Hurts until they can find the better option, I would say. So it depends what happens in the draft this year. If you know They, they have... What, what could be three first-round picks, who emerges as a potential pick. If, if this class is similar to the 2013 class, for instance, when the Eagles had the number four overall pick, but there wasn't a QB there, then they can kick the can down the line. It, it's what quarterbacks also come available in the trade market. Obviously, they've been linked to Deshaun Watson in the past. They would be linked to Russell Wilson if he ever became available. But as far as what Jalen Hurts has to do as a player, like disregarding any of the other options, he has to be more efficient. He has to be more consistent. The 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 ball hits the ground way too often. Uh, like I I know you you can't judge everything from completion percentage, but if you're going to pass the ball as often as the Eagles do, you can't be 50% in the passing game because it, that just kills drives. So I think efficiency. I don't want to say sitting in the pocket and throwing the ball, but being able to make on schedule plays because a lot of what makes Jalen Hurts. I guess what makes him potentially special is what he can do off schedule. This coaching staff really wants to see him make more on schedule plays. Shortly before we started, uh, I think Dallas Goddard got activated from the COVID list. Um, I know you just just traded away Zach Ertz. Do you see him kind of becoming a, a bigger part of the offense with, with this transition? That was really the big reason why they traded Ertz. They frankly should have traded Ertz during the off season because Ertz wanted to go in the off season. The team was looking for a suitor. Then they brought him back this year thinking that they could play both, but uh, it's really been disjointed. They don't want to be a, a 12 personnel team. They want to be a, be heavy 11 personnel. And so they were really splitting time between Goddard and obviously Ertz. So by trading Ertz, I think you're going to see Goddard become more of an 80% snap player 
he's a free agent at the end of the year. It's no secret that they want to sign him to a big extension. They know there's going to be no discount. So this is going to be really the first time in Goddard's career when he's the unquestioned number one tight end. And I think they're going to treat him like such. And the NFC East has been a little bit of a punching bag in, in recent years. You know, you look at last season, every team had a losing record. You know, and that probably colored, I think, how some of those teams had to approach the year. I mean, the, the Eagles went 4-11-1, but I mean, even in the final month, they were still technically in contention. How do you think the way the Cowboys have emerged this season at 5-1 and one early on, how does that change the way teams in the NFC East have to view it? I mean, it, it, nobody can be chasing a 7-9 a and nine season that's going to get them in the playoffs this year. I think that would probably affect maybe Washington or even the Giants more than the Eagles. I, I think the Eagles were, were pretty honest going into the year about what this year was, was, was going to be. I mean, they fired Doug Peterson, you know, after the first year Peterson didn't make the playoffs, after three consecutive playoff appearances and a Super Bowl run, because they wanted to start this transition. And, and, and so they, a big reason why they traded Peterson was because they didn't want to be in a position where they were making short-term decisions to kind of satisfy a coach that might be on the hot seat, right? They, they, they really wanted to take a down-the-road view and not try to maximize the, the 2021 season. So I think the fact that the Cowboys are running away with the division would affect a, a team like Washington more that kind of had illusions of, of being at the top of the, of the division. I, I think the Eagles knew that, you know, if they were in the playoff hunt, if they were competitive, that's almost gravy this year. This year was, was a real transition year for the team. Let me ask you about uh, about Doug Pearson. Uh, when, when the Raiders have a coaching search, when, or if, I guess, this next offseason, I'm sure his name will pop up. What, what are some of his strengths and weaknesses as a coach, and what do you think about him uh, resurfacing in, in Las Vegas? I would really watch that Las Vegas situation for him. That's that's an interesting one. He's he's obviously he's he's really good in the locker room. You know, as a former player, uh, he he has a pulse of the of the locker room. I think he's a good play caller. You you saw that down the 2017 in 2017. He has a he's good at at, at keeping the locker room focused when things aren't particularly going well. You saw them rebound in 2018, 2019 to make the playoffs when. They were really in, in tough spots middle of the year. I think that for Peterson's next job, staffing is going to be a big question, right? How does he fill his coaching staff? I don't think he, he, he did a, a particularly good job of replacing some of the assistants who, have, who left during his time. And then it didn't work at the end with Carson Wentz. And a lot of that had to do with Carson Wentz, and there were a lot of dynamics involved. Obviously, the Jalen Hurts pick, you factor into that. But when you are... When Doug Peterson's your coach, I, I think that coach-quarterback relationship is essential because you're hiring Peterson in part because of his background working with quarterbacks and his experience as a backup quarterback. I would really want to know what direction you're going in at quarterback, and, and do you want Doug to be the guy who kind of builds your offense for the quarterback or adapts you know, or, or, or brings his offense and has the quarterback adapt to him? All right, Zach. Hey, man, we really appreciate your time and uh, look forward to seeing what happens on Sunday. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. Look forward to coming out there. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. You know, Vic, there's a good point you brought up with Doug Peterson. And one interesting thing when I think about Peterson is we don't know what's going to happen with Mike Mayock, but you would presume there's some relationship there. I mean, Mike's a, a Philly guy. He uh, he worked the Eagles preseason broadcast from 2015 to 18. So he was there for the uh, start of Peterson's tenure uh, in 16. So if the Raiders are looking at it as, OK, let's try to keep some front office continuity and let's keep Mike Mayock around. Peterson does represent a guy that would have some relationship, you would presume, with Mayock, and maybe they could try to make that work. Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, I would guess that Mark Davis will be making the call as far as a coach, probably you know, leading the search like the last two times. So I'm not sure how much Mayock would play into that. But um, I think with Mark, obviously, the, the having the Super Bowl ring would be a big deal, having a proven track record. I think how they hit it off in the interview would be a big deal. So I uh, just uh, and I think it's like those things, I think, will definitely make him a guy who Mark would definitely uh, – Consider if they if they go that route. If obviously if they win the rest of the year, they probably stick with Passaccia. But um, I think there will be a you know a search at some point. Maybe it's already started. Maybe Pearson's already on a, on a list that Mark's looking at. So um, definitely bear, bears watching. Yeah, Peterson was on a uh, our athletic football show yesterday. Uh, so if Raiders fans want to go peek inside the mind of a potential candidate and go go over and listen to that. I guess. If they ask him his thoughts on Derek Carr, that'd be a good question. My Robert Mays slipping, man, slipping. I don't see that show would have would, would have been perfect because Ted keeps advocating for Mitchell Schwartz to uh, the the Raiders to, to look into Mitchell Schwartz. He you know he has a weekly spot on the podcast, and then we've got Doug Peterson. So it's like that whole podcast. It, the Athletic is like bringing together the future of the Raiders here with with Schwartz and Peterson. The and, future uh, of the Raiders. We should we should charge a, a fee, a consulting fee. We should get get a cut. For real, Raider fans got to stop hating on us. Uh, but uh, I was listening to the podcast, and I just I really liked how he thought about self scouting, how he thought about adding plays to the playbook and analytics. So I, I think Doug Peterson is a pretty interesting candidate for the Raiders, and I think he'd be open to bringing Gus Bradley or keeping Gus Bradley too. He doesn't seem like a guy that has you know, like uh, Zach talked about. He had some staffing issues, so. If he comes in, I think he would be open to keeping Bradley as a coordinator and having those two guys, I think, would be a pretty good setup for the Raiders if that does happen. And it does feel like with Mark Davis running the search, most likely, that you see a lot of teams nowadays go for the young up-and-coming coordinators. Mark, you just kind of get the sense that he's a guy that's going to lean on bringing in an experienced coach. We don't know. We're not going to prejudge him and, until we see who he hires, but that just seems probably more like Mark's MO that I mean, you look at the two coaches he hired, Jack Del Rio, John Gruden, that bringing in a guy that's got experience, like you said, Vic, has a Super Bowl ring, probably seems more like Mark's M.O. One other small transaction the Raiders made, um, Desmond Trufant, who has been cut by two teams already this year. You know, he's a guy that was once a pretty good player in this league, once a pro bowler. The Raiders, you know, it's basically a depth signing at, at this point with the Raiders dealing with those injuries at cornerback. Ted, any, any thoughts of what Trufant might still have left and, and what he might be able to bring to this defense if he uh, you know, gets on the field at some point in the next few weeks? 
I haven't seen him lately, but I mean, when Trafant was at the top of his game, he's, he was one of the best corners in the league. He has a lot of experience in this type of defense. So I'm sure just being a veteran and having experience playing in the system was attractive for the Raiders. So, I, I mean, I'm curious to see where he is physically with, you know, everything he's been through. I mean, there's a reason why he's available now, but at least he knows the system and he has experience. Yeah, Basaccia said yesterday that he expects him to be in three-man rotation at corner and, and contribute, you know, going into the game this week. So we, we could see him sooner than we expect. I mean, you know, last game, Meek Robertson got pulled because he was playing poorly. Uh, then they brought Faison in and he got banged up a little bit. Hayward caught the cramps for the 10th time this season, so they had to bring in Keyshawn Nixon. And so it's kind of a revolving door at that other cornerback spot opposite of Hayward right now with, with Mullen and Arnett still on IR. And so... You know, he knows the system. He's played, you know, under Dan Quinn with the Falcons for a long time with that cover three heavy defense. And so uh, if he's healthy and he picks things up quickly, um, you know, we, we could, could see him on the field this weekend. He's not five foot nine, which I think is a big factor in his favor. I think uh, obviously the coaches like to make Robinson and his effort in camp. But, um, you know, there's not a lot of short quarterbacks for a reason. I think he's having trouble. I think they realize that. So I think even Nixon, I don't think, is a guy they really want on the field too much. So I think, like Ted said, the veteran presence, knowing the system, We'll be able, we'll make him be able to jump those two guys pretty quickly, I think. So we'll see what he has left. But in their mind, he's already more attractive than those two guys as far as, I think, leaving on for, you know, a set amount of plays a week. All right, let's take a few questions here. We're going to start with this one from John C. Not quite midseason assessment, but have you reconsidered the Mayock and Gruden free agent and draft picks and cuts as it at least seems defense additions are winners at all three levels? I think probably you look at that more as a as a thumbs up to Gus Bradley, right? That the guys that Gus said, bring him, bring him, bring him. Gus Bradley's kind of coming up aces right now um, in terms of the guys that he wanted to bring in. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's clear that when when Gus got hired, they talked to him. He probably said, look, I don't care who you guys drafted the last few years. If I don't want to play him, I'm not going to play him. And they had to say, fine. I think that's definitely like something that Mike and John agreed to. Like, you know, if you don't want to play Cleve Farrell – even though we picked him fourth overall, that's okay. I mean, it's, it's your call. Damon Arnett, the guy we picked last year in the first round. If you don't like him, I guess that's okay. So I, they totally gave Gus the green light. They brought in, I think it's like, what, is it now eight former guys he's played for? I think it's a recent count. So I think those defensive improvements, uh, like you said, it all points to Gus more so than uh, Mike or John. Even that cornerback, Brandon Faison. Yeah, Faison, he, he, even he played well just coming in out of nowhere, too. So Bradley's done a really good job picking out former players. I think Henry Ruggs and Brian Edwards, obviously, they, they've taken a huge step this year. And so those picks look a lot better than they did in year one. Obviously, you know, judging picks after year one is, is kind of a crapshoot anyway. You know, some of those guys like Abram, we see starting to come into form, as, as Ted wrote about today, um, in that box safety role. And Trayvon Morey, you know, has made some plays on the back end. He looks pretty good. And so... Uh, yeah, some you know some hits sprinkled in there. I, I think it's just you know they still, from a, a big picture standpoint, they've mis misallocated their their resources when it comes to their free agent dollars and their draft picks. And there is no there anymore uh, with, with Gruden gone. So uh, I don't think it's like super relevant since this whole thing could change after this season. Yeah, I mean obviously Leatherwood hasn't been as plug and play as they expected, but Merrick has, and I mean they got a fifth round gem in Nate Hobbs. So uh, you kind of got to give them some credit there for Nate Hobbs. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Nate Hobbs is the guy that Mike talked about a while. Him and the, the scouting staff, stuff like that. They kind of uh, discovered and they, they saw on tape that he was better than what the perception was around the league. So, 
Yeah, I think it's like like Michael will tell you, it's a, it's a group effort. I mean, you can't really. It's hard to say this was that guy's pick and that guy was that guy's. So everybody wants all the fans want to know who was John's pick, who was Mike's pick. They want to grade it all out, but yeah, there's definitely some fusion, definitely some opinions mixing and kind of blend to an overall uh, philosophy. So I think in the case of Hobbs, this one guy definitely could probably point to Mayock and his and the scouting staff is saying that was their guy. So yeah, it's I mean he's been huge for him. So I think. Um, yeah, overall, the defense has definitely uh, been a major story as why this team is, I think, 4-2. All right, question from Ray Q. Do you see any incoming trades this year, or does Mayock not have that power? I, mean, I think Mayock has the power to, to make some trades. There aren't a whole lot of trades that, that really t- tend to go down in the NFL. I mean, we've got November 2nd is the trade deadline. There'll be a few, but will the Raiders be able to swing any big ones? I don't know. Yeah, I've always thought the NFL trade line deadline was kind of boring. Like, I get why. Like, it's harder to plug, plug and play than you know, leagues like the, the NBA or, or maybe baseball and things of that nature. But um, you know, typically, if, if a team's going to make a big move, unless like a major injury or something like that happens, it's going to get done before the game starts. I mean, the Raiders have one, you know, probably their best one in a, in a minute, you know, trading for Denzel Perriman um, before the season started. And he's been their, their leading tackler so far. And so I mean, I'm sure they'll, you know, have their antennas up, you know, maybe if whether it's a team calling about one of their players or, or them, you know, trying to beef up the offensive line. But even then, like, you know, they with them signing Fluker and, you know, maybe getting incognito back. Like, I don't know. That's really the only position group to me that stands out. You know, I was going to say cornerback, but then they, so they signed True Font. And so they don't have a ton of, like, super – while the offensive line has, has, has been a work in progress, they don't have a bunch of super glaring needs that there are, like, obvious answers just sitting out there on, on other teams. And the problem is they, they need help in positions where nobody's trading those type of players. Like nobody's trading a tackle and nobody's trading a cornerback at this point. So yeah, it's going to be tough filling those needs with, with trades. Would teams trade like a backup uh, blocking tight end? Cause that would definitely be a big need for them. I could replace his carrier carrier is out. And I think Bowers is going to be out for a while. So I think definitely in terms of being able to get back to your three tight end sets, a veteran, you know, tight end who can block, it can't be that expensive. I wouldn't think of the market. I would have been looking at the teams that are, aren't doing well, but, I mean, one possible target I, I could see. Matt Bushman, man. He's already on the practice squad. Are you, are you hating on Matt Bushman? I'm not hating on Matt Bushman. Matt, is, is, he, is he a blocking guy? Isn't he more like it was more like a. I don't know. That was the next question. Somebody wanted to know about the potential season debut for Matt Bushman. Man. That, that, you know, that was, I was going to say, Lee, you know, some, you know a couple, somebody was asking me about him a couple weeks ago. And. Maybe, but I mean, yeah, I mean, the Falcons just traded for him this offseason. So it's like if you're trading for a guy to then go trade him again, it usually seems unlikely. But, um, and, you know, and I think he's, he's probably a guy that they kind of want to have around um, as they're just trying to, to build that foundation to have in the tight end room there with uh, Kyle Pitts. Really? For a six round pick? They're like, yeah, screw that. Go ahead. Get, get lost. Can take your foundation stuff and get out of here. We'll take a six-round pick. I'd have to look at what they uh, they gave up for him. Uh, they probably gave up something like a six-round pick. So uh, They gave up a 2022 seventh-round pick. So, yeah, they, they can get a six-round six pick. Six-round upgrade. They, uh, there you go. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but does get Matt Bushman. I want to go back to Deshaun's point. So, <laughs> Matt Bushman. Matt Bushman podcast. He's the guy to watch, I guess. All right. I'll do some research on Matt Bushman. I think he was more a pass catcher in college, but. 125 career receptions for 1,719 yards and nine touchdowns in three seasons at BYU. All right, question here from uh, Chase G. How do you guys see Kenyon Drake's role in the offense developing over the coming weeks? It seems like they could run some more screens, pitches to get him on the outside where he can really burn people. We talked about it earlier. He had the six touches 
in Sunday's win. In the four wins that they have this season, he's averaged 10 touches. I think he had 12, 11, 11 in the first three weeks. He only got three touches in the combined in the two losses. So when they've gotten him the ball more, they have won. Um, and so even though they said that that wasn't you know any kind of concerted effort to get him the ball more, it would make sense to get him a little bit more involved. And Josh Jacobs advocated for it on, on Wednesday. He said, I, I don't want this to be a one-man show. My body can't can't handle this being a one-man show. Let's get Kenyon Drake involved. Yeah, I think you're paying him. You're paying him to be involved, so <laughs> you might as well involve him. I think the one, one of the problems with him early on was like, I think his pass blocking was not as good as he thought. It was. I mean, I didn't know if that was great, but I thought it was worse than I thought it was going to be. So I think that was probably a factor in not getting a lot of uh, a lot of snaps early on. But He's clearly shown he's definitely dangerous. The wheeler route was a great route and a great pass. So uh, they got to get him more involved. And like Josh said, they want to kind of ease his load a little bit. So I would think that they'll definitely keep up with that. Uh, 10, 10 touches is, is a good goal to have, I think, every week. Yeah, this would be a good game to kind of get him matched up on those Philadelphia linebackers and create some mismatches with quick passes. So I'd expect to see some, some more Kenyon Drake in a passing game early in this game. Yeah, we'll see how his, his snap count looks. It's just interesting because they got, you know, Richard back now, who's who they're also paying three and a half million dollars. I think they, they have to be playing backup running backs more than anybody else, like in league history or something like that. But uh I mean he's he's their best pass blocker, so he's basically their third down running back again, pretty capable receiver as well. And so maybe we start seeing some more some more two running back sets. I have to go back and check, but I don't, I don't feel like we've seen a bunch of twenty one personnel or or other two running back sets like that with both Jacobs and, and Drake on the field. Uh, maybe that's something they, we start seeing a little bit more to where they can put both of those weapons out there. All right, final question here from Stephen T. Once teams start to get a feel for Greg Olson as offensive coordinator, do you think he'll be able to keep the offense going? His track record as a play caller isn't great, but this is probably the best group of players he's had to work with. I agree. I think definitely the skill set guys are definitely very good. And I think it's also a great job. I think people kind of forget, though, that his team – the first few weeks, their offense was great. They were three and zero, like leading the league in passing. And all of a sudden, you know, I know they had, they had hiccups, but uh, to me, it just kind of went back to where they were. I, I'm not sure, but uh, they kind of discovered anything new. But uh, I think clearly they have the weapons in place, and Carr definitely playing well again. So I think that um, you can't. I don't think you can really solve the, the only or solve their offense. I think definitely what they do well, they'll keep doing well if the line holds up. So uh, I think that they'll be fine with him or you know. Even if teams try and guess what he's doing, I think they'll be fine. All right, guys, it is prediction time. Raiders, will they get to five and two going into the bye, or will they stumble into the bye at four and three with a disappointing home loss to the Eagles? Who wants to lead off here? Yeah, man, I mean, I've been pretty fucking awful with this this year, but uh, <laughs> I mean, like technically, technically. I'm two and four according to the experts' pick because I picked, I picked them to pick the Steelers, and I, just, I changed it because I got shook. I got a little scared with, with Vic there when Jacobs got hurt that week, but um, no, nah, I, I think I, I think this is a game that they win. Uh, I haven't won in twenty eight to twenty one. I just haven't been impressed by the Eagles' offense, and I think um, the Raiders' defense has shown us enough to this point for for us to believe in them as, be, as being legit. And I think this is you know a, a unit that they you know should be able to slow down. Run defense uh, is a little bit of, of a concern, but as we talked about earlier, the Eagles don't don't tend to do that very often, kind of because of how their offense um, is designed and. You know, I think that that Eagles front, you know, will challenge this offensive line. But um, if they can, you know, sort of continue the trend that we've seen the last couple of weeks of them getting a little bit better, you know, I think the offense should be able to stay on track um, as as well. And so, um, since I picked them to win, they'll probably lose. You know, since since this has been going this season, but uh, I think they get it done. 
The trap line, man. I'm worried. The trap line's got me really worried. Um, but I'll take the Raiders 24-23. I think they win the game, but uh, don't cover the spread. I think um, I'm going to be a believer in all the things that are positive going on, like the team is whatever, less anxiety and uh, always a, a mastermind and Derek Carr is on point and Max Crosby is the best pass rusher in the NFL. So I'm going to go with all the positivity until so they win the game, but it'll be close. The Raiders have been using our sponsor, BetterHelp Online Therapy. That's why they have less anxiety. Oh, there you go. On there. Nice time. You know, yeah. I thought you were going to say they were using Roman. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Easy now. <laughs> I think the Raiders take this game, too. Um, offensive line, defensive line, mat, uh, mismatch inside concerns me. But I, I think the Raiders would find ways to slow them down with a quick passing game, especially to be able to move the ball. And defensively, you know, if the Eagles don't run the ball, they're just going to play into the Raiders' strengths. So if they do decide to run the ball with some uh, and commit to the run, I think there will be they'll give the Raiders some trouble. But it just doesn't seem like they're going to do that just based on uh, what they've done throughout the season. So I'll take the Raiders in this game. 24 to 20. I'm going to go Raiders 27-23. Yeah, I mean, I think the Raiders' defense is going to play well. I mean, the, the Eagles have kind of been disjointed on offense. And so even though the Raiders, I think, might might struggle a little bit against that Eagles defensive front um, and, you know, might be another one of those games where it takes them a little while to get going offensively, unless Ole suddenly has that figured out and he's going to be first drive touchdowns every time. Um, I could see this being a, another game where they kind of struggle a little bit early. But a couple of big plays to Henry Ruggs. You know, he's the NFL leader in yards per reception and uh he he catches uh at least one pass of 40 or more yards and raiders win it 27 23 yeah i like the first two matchups for basaccia it goes against vic fangio and sirianni it's that's pretty nice it's pretty uh nice I got thing. joe judge coming off the, the joe judge coming up hey. next baby that's like, a, that's like a hot tub of coaching doesn't that get comfortable you can relax that's nice Another Vic, uh, another Vic T-shirt line. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can see the T-shirts already. That's going to be a hot tub, hot tub with, coaching with, with Siriano, Fangio, and, and Joe Judge. Vic's going to be selling them uh, uh, outside the MGM Grand next to the uh, Zombie Lion. On, I forgot uh, what the Zombie Sunday. Lion meant. Then you guys reminded me. I was like, that's a little graphic. That's like the that doesn't make much sense. If you cut the head off the lion, it can't really be a zombie, right? Because I mean, that's the whole thing about zombies. You got to kill them in the head, right? So. It was a very bad. Uh, looking back, it wasn't my best, my best analogy. Hey, you know what we gotta do? We gotta create a mirage, like a crazy shirt mirage with all of Vic's uh, little quibs on it, like a warm podcast, a zombie lion. Somebody's gonna create like a, a bingo game where you know they, like, where they, you know, like all once they hit all those lines. So we haven't talked warm bum at all this year. Yeah, it's uh, and nobody's on the warm bum yet. If you're a listener and you're good with Photoshop, please create that mirage for us so we could put it on a T-shirt. And the warm bum is good for Gunther. He's in Minnesota, so it gets cold there. So having a warm bum is good. Mm. So it that well. Good Lord. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I think we are going to wrap up this episode of State of the Nation. Should be a good one. Big, big, important game for the Raiders on Sunday. A chance to get five and two going in the bye week. So we'll see what they can do. And we'll talk to you after the Raiders take on the Philadelphia Eagles. Beware the trap. Adios. It's a trap. Let's have some fun. I think there's a little bit of a warm sensation on his bum right now, probably, I think.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.